Shabbat on Leil Shabbos about the joy and about the yoke of Talmud Torah, and I wanted to speak about another aspect of Talmud Torah. Tis the season. It's something that all Gedol Yisrael, all great Talmud Chachamim, all of our men of letters, shared to become and to continue their standing as great men of the Jewish people, that they learned and learned and learned some more. Hasmada. Hatmada, however you say it, doesn't make a difference. Your degish won't help you, and it won't hurt you. It means constantness. From the language of tamid, like korban tamid, constant, lechem, lefanei tamid. In fact, one of the greatest monikers a yeshiva student can earn for himself is the name of a masmid. Someone constantly involved in Talmud Torah. But before going further with this uh, topic, I wanted to inject, allow me, some words of remembrance for two phenomenal Rabbanim who left us very recently, of uh, Simcha Khan Cook, who was a famed Rav of Rehovot, and of Nathan Greenblatt of Memphis, Tennessee. We shared on Yom Yerushalayim a little bit about Rav Simcha. I want to share it again because it's so pertinent to us in Darkei Noam. Something to think about. His nephew commented, he did your mayor, himself quite a famous person, but I'm going to add something we didn't read. He says it like this, for him he says, the world is not the same world without Reb Simcha, certainly not the world of the Rabbanus, of rabbis, Or Hashem, Lo Amun Yisrael, Jewish people is not orphaned, it's not uh, widowed, there are many great rabbis in cities, Yeshuvim and shuls, but like Reb Simcha, is not. And I don't think there's one reader that knew him that wouldn't agree with what I said, if you knew him. And he commented on this, we did share in Yom Yishalayim, it's worth thinking about again. He said he could come to a irua, come to an event of Midnachalim, that are sitting in the Muslim quarter and mitchaber with them, and to live and to be Sorry to translate the Ragesh, be emotional to, with them together and to speak about Ritzviyu to cook, of the Raya's son, the Rashiv of Merkazarav. Uh, and then same night, Mamish, within a few hours, he could be Mishtatev with Achnasa Sefer Torah and some Lithuanian Yeshiva in Bnei Brak, and to be Midchaber there also, and to speak about Rav Kahneman, the famed Panabitch And it was all true, it was nothing was uh, political or moving or connecting. And he says, this is so amazing, such an amazing line. He says, it wasn't that he knew how to speak with different people. It wasn't he knew how to be mechabed, different people. He says he knew how to connect. He connected with so many. And that's why so many people are so sad in his loss. That was an amazing way to speak about someone. He knew how to connect, to really connect. Antar of Nata, maybe you've even heard of him. I want to say, I think my friends can say this is decently true, I can consider myself decently knowledge about Rabbanim and Gedolim. It's like a topic by me, many years. And I can tell you, and I try, I can't think of another Rav or a God of like of not to Greenblatt. I can't, I tried. I'm not saying there wasn't, but my small brain couldn't. And I was thinking about this. I told his grandson this. He was a friend, good friend of mine, and a lot of that's why I think it's accurate this is what I'm going to say. It's accurate to say that he was a bigger Lamdan than the greater majority of Rosh Yeshiva 
He was a bigger posek, decider of Jewish law, than the greater majority of poskim. But here's the kicker. That together with that, he was a greater askin, a communal a- a- activist, than the great majority of Chabad Shluchim. Find another human being like that. Let me explain. He was a genius of the highest proportions. Still quite young, he used to answer the phone calls for Moshe Feinstein. Moshe, sometimes would to the likes of even someone like Rav Hutner. Rav Yitzhak Hutner, the famed Roshiva Chaim Berlin, called Rav Moshe on a, on, a, on a, I don't want to say what it was, his grandson told me point by point, on a sensitive issue. Rav Moshe didn't want to discuss it, and he put Rav Nathan Greenblatt, I don't know how long, old he was, 30, 40 on the phone. And Rav, and Rav Nathan Greenblatt took Rav Hutner through the sugi the way Rav Moshe saw it. Rav Michael Feinstein, a mentor and a chabrus of his, the greatest Gonim and Bnei Brak said, if he would remain in the yeshiva, he would have been the greatest yeshiva in his generation. And his askanas, his communal activity, speaks for itself. He picked up one day, still single, and he moved to Memphis, Tennessee. He said he went to marry the Eretz Yisrael family. He was in Eretz Yisrael many times, because he didn't want to get stuck in Israel. He knew his place. He had to help the Jews in America. We could talk about him for hours. Maybe we should, but... You know, it's very going to Memphis is amazing. Tennessee. Anybody ever been into Tennessee here? But then, weekly, he would leave the house on a Sunday with a small bag lunch and travel around the Midwest and often out of the country taking care of Gitin Khalis. We're talking about someone, the highest rub you could think about. Imagine that, getting on a plane with a bag, going, taking care of Gitin Khalitz's Irvin. I'm going to share two quick stories. It says, once a runaway husband had settled, someone didn't give his wife a get, in Europe. So Ramnata got him on the phone. He wasn't going to go anywhere outside of his wife to free, anywhere outside of his wife. So Ramnata said, he, this fellow said, I'm traveling soon, and I'll have spare time in the Paris International Airport. So Ramnata sitting in Memphis, this fellow says he's going to be in Paris the next time. Ramnata immediately booked tickets to Germany. Then he's going to take the train to Paris, and he arranged for two witnesses to fly in from Eretz Yisrael and pay for their tickets. They met in the airport. The guy was in, and Ramnata proceeded to the woman's hometown to deliver it. The woman's rabbi asked Ramnata how much money he owed him. Ramnata said, "Azam mitzvah for kaitmin nisht." You don't sell such a mitzvah. He spent all the money from his own pocket. He used to take money on the get. He used to, for the get itself, he would take money, but his travel expenses, and they were extremely considerable, and the aid them. It was out of his pocket. I asked the grandson, how do you have so much money? He says, we don't know exactly, but he had money for so much. <laughs> On a different occasion, he was involved in a local case where a husband left Memphis without halakhically divorcing his wife. And of not to learn this man's wife, mother passed away, and he was going to come back for the funeral, which was on Arab Yom Kippur. Here we got the case. The fellow left. His mother had died. They're at the cemetery, not to approach the brief son, and he said, "We're not letting Mama into the ground until you write to get." The man consented. Rav not to allow the burial. He wrote to get. He arrived home a few minutes before Yom Kippur. His suda mafsekis was an apple, and he had no regrets. This is Gavain my schus for Yom Kippur. This is my schus for Yom Kippur. Such a person. I'll tell you, I thought I knew of him, but then I really spoke to his son and grandson for a long time. I just. I don't know another human being like him. And that, that scope, that width, absolutely incredible. We're going to come back to them, but let's continue on our basic topic, Hasmada. Let's look at the Makaris a little bit. 
we have, as we've spoken a lot over the time in Yeshiva, 48 Kenyani Torah. But the very first, the Kenyani Torah, the ways to acquire the Torah, the things that Chazal pointed out to us and so unnecessary for someone to become a Talmud Chacham, become serious, really, is Talmud. Learning. Simply. Why? That's Rashi's Chachma. That's the beginning of wisdom. Before anything else, you need to be involved in learning. You know, people like to talk about Derech Halimut a lot. We like to talk about Derech Halimut in the Shiva, and we should. But if you don't dig in and do it, all you talk about it isn't going to amount to much. You become a chair, what do you, you could become a, a, a uh, chair, couch, a chair, you know what I mean, that guy. One of my fairy ideas on this topic is a stirring shot of the Ibn Ezra. Sometimes we're used to one shot in the words, we don't realize that the words can open up to mean something else. The Pasik says, Mikomalamdai from all my teachers I became wise, because your commands were my discussion, Sicha. The beginning of that Pasik is hopefully familiar, of course. The Mishnah says, Ezu Chacham, who's the wise person, Halome Mikol Adam, someone who learns from every person, Mikomalamdai Iskalti, and brings that Pasik. Meaning to say, how do you become wise? By learning from everyone. I learn from everyone. Everyone is my teacher. How about this reading? Ibn Ezra reads it like this. Not that I learn from everyone. More than all my rabbim, I became wise. I was smarter than all of them. David Amalek says, I was a Torah giant greater than my teachers. You know why? Because I was smart. Because I, I was learning all the time. Not, I became wise from all of them. I became wiser than all of them. I became wiser than all of them. Because I was shtagging. Maybe it's only David and Melech. So I want to tell you, this is a true story. I heard from Menachem Deutsch, who was there. He said there's a fellow who came into the Koltari Yeshiva. He's a known dying today. I'm pretty sure I know his name. I don't want to say it. I'm not sure his name. Maybe. Yeah. But they said, he said about himself, when I came into the Yeshiva, I had the head of a balata. You know what a balata is? Look down. That's a balata. This thing. That is one balata. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but that's not what they said about their being in the yeshiva. A balata. Not too good. It means it wasn't, it wasn't exactly so smart. By the time he left Kotar Yeshiva, they say he knew Chuvas no to be who the better than the Rabbishon Orbach, the God Ador. He was there at the same time. Shlomo was, was the... He stiked, he sat, and he worked, and he pushed, and he plugged. And he became something amazing. There's no end to what somebody who pushes and plugs away can accomplish. You know, next to Muncie, the community college. Muncie, year of Aim Bissrol. Year of Kodesh, Muncie. I don't think I've ever even been in Muncie. But many of you probably have. Probably even had shown in Muncie. Yeah? There's a community college called Rockland Community College, RCC. But we know the Emerson shot in RCC. Relentlessly, constantly, consistently. That's what you have to remember. RCC. Relentlessly, we learn relentlessly, we learn constantly, we learn consistently. So we see how basic Asmada is, Talmud. We see how far it can take us. You can be smarter than every one of the Rebbeim in the Yeshiva if you steig and steig and steig. But it's more than that. It's a lot more than that. The Masmid is touching what Torah is really all about. Torah is a chiv, Layam Shaver Torah is in Picha, Bihisa, Bayam Valaila, Shinantan Levanach, it's a chiv, Tmidi. 
It's a very interesting chiyuv. When are you chayiv and learning? Whenever you're not doing something else. You're doing meaningful activities. Beautiful. No bit of Torah. Excellent. Mitzvah. Torah Yivamba says. Tafiyomi did recently. It's a mitzvah. You can find it. Also, it's stuck in B'cholais. But you're not? You're M'chuyiv. What is that? What's the nature of that chiyuv? What's the nature of that of that relationship that it's all the time? So let's think about it. A great physicist spends a lot of time learning physics. A lot. But we don't look at a great physicist who just wastes a lot of time as being off on physics. I'm not talking about a vacation. Everybody needs vacations. He just says, you know what? No physics for six months. I'll get back to it. No one perceives him as being mixed up. But imagine how I'm saying that. I'm not going to learn. You need a break? No. Just low bali. That's not a Tamachacham. Why? What is it? The Torah, the Gemara in Shabbos, and Yud, I believe, says that there was one Amor who was davening too long. And his Amor friend turned to him and says, Ah, listen to these words. He was davening. Davening is a good thing. Davening is a beautiful thing. I wish I davened better. We could all daven better. I wish I came earlier on to Shul. How long? For how long are you going to leave eternal life and be involved in ephemeral life, in non-constant life? That's why you turn someone davening. Torah is called Chai Olam, eternal life. Davening is called Chai Shah, ephemeral life. Contained life. What is that? To put down a davening? Davening is Dvarma Omdim Rumashal Olam. Davening is in a place higher than we can imagine. Rumashal Olam, it's the top of the world. Now the Mizalzlumbo. But Talmud Torah is something else, it's above time. Everybody's heard it so many times. It was mentioned even yesterday. Hashem looked at the Torah to create the world. That means it's beyond the world. 974 generations, whatever that means, before the world was created, the Torah was there. So Torah is something that's beyond the world. And when you treat it as such, that's why it's here. That's why its obligation is beyond time. It's bigger than time. It's more basic than time. Mitzvahs, not bamba. Not pizza. Not Netflix. Netflix doesn't exist. I'm talking about things that exist. Physical world exists in time. Mitzvahs exist in time. Tefillah exists in time. Torah exists beyond Zman. So when a person is learning all the time, they're attaching themselves to the true essence of what Torah is. That's why it's Chayolam. That's why one Amara could turn to the other and say, you're spending too much time in davening. It's beautiful. Excellent. Davening. It's Chayishah. It's, it's lower place. You're supposed to be involved in a high level reality. It's Lamalam and Azaman. And when we learn down here, we're connecting to that infinite nature, boys. That's what we're doing. I'm learning about something finite. Finite situations, carrying like this, carrying like that, in the back, in the front, around the, around the bend. But I'm touching that. I'm touching something infinite. One of my mentors of a prime Kirschenbaum. I hope we'll meet him next week at the Shabbaton. Likes to say a Ben Torah, the definition of Ben Torah is someone who goes to sleep with a question and he wakes up with an answer. So a smothered Rebbe says all that. It's the first of the Kenyanic Torah. It's something absolutely practically needed to get ahead, even if you're a Bunim. But it's something that touches the whole nature of, of Torah. Torah is beyond time, and one specifically learns like that. There's no time. There's no. They said, "When were the when were the storm in Velazhin?" I think I mentioned to you. A young Rav Druk one time came to Rav Michal Feinstein, who mentioned before his door. Such an excellent story. Knocked on the door, and Rav Michal Feinstein was, of course, married to the Briskrovs, 
daughter, Lufsha, or Lufsha, Lufsha Feinstein, huh? famous figure on her own. And she said, my husband's not here, he's giving a shear. So a young Rav Druk said, he's giving a shear, when's the shear finished? Shear finished? Shear finished? There are two Zman in Shulchanach. There's time for Kriya Shema, there's time for, there's a time for davening. A shear doesn't have a time. Shear will end when it ends. That's what I said in Velashen. What is Zman Yeshiva? He said, we learned. Zman and, oh, nine o'clock, God forbid, I can't come to say it before that. One o'clock, I better not go over time. Torah has no time, it's beyond. But it's not, all, it's not all or nothing. We can all touch the timelessness in our world. You cut short a mid-sater DMC. Do they still use that term? Deep, meaningless conversation. I mean, deep, meaningful. Deep, meaningful conversation. You know, the ones that the teenage girls have. The age of DMC like this. You cut short a little bit. You start schmoozing about something. You know, you catch yourself. We're involved in something eternal. Let's not now, now. How long do we have in yeshiva? A few months, a few years. Who can talk? You skip a coffee break. You push to concentrate a whole sheer. You're touching the timelessness. That's the point. I stay off the phone for the whole schmooze. Good. That was a joke. I could try from time to time. I don't do it every night either, believe me. But time to time, before you go to sleep, think about something you had thought about during the day. Something you rub in the morning said. Something you rub in the afternoon. Just be misboning in it again. That's you're touching the true essence of Torah. Not putting it into a box. Torah is not physics. It's not all the good and beautiful and smart things of the world. It's not biology, and it's not even a mitzvah. It's beyond all that. And Rabosai, we live in an unprecedented time for Asmana. This is the good news. Think how long it used to take a masmid to go to a bank. I burnt hours in the bank. Not that I'm a masmid, but I burnt hours in the bank. Burnt. To figure out directions. To buy a car. To make a phone call. Check his email and a thousand other things that we could do so quickly today to research some topic. It used to take a lot of time. It's clear to me that all the crazy technological advances are for who? For the Masmedim. We're getting it wrong though. Hashem is giving a great present. Ravon Lopiansky Shlita says that the Sanhedrin will make a brach on the internet if they were here today. But the world's saying it the wrong way. This utensil has become an enslaving, unforgiving master to humanity. I want to share a little from a New York Times article. I shared this before a while ago. This is in 2019. I don't remember how I got this, but a certain fellow, his name is Kevin Roos. I don't know Kevin. This might be a picture of him. New York Times from the end of February in 2019. So he writes here that he started to look at himself. I've been a heavy phone user for my entire adult life, but sometimes last year I crossed the invisible line into problem territory. My symptoms were all the typical ones. I found myself incapable of reading books, watching full-length movies, good, or having long, uninterrupted conversations, bad. Social media made me angry and anxious, bad. And even the digital space I once found soothing, group text, podcasts, YouTube K-holes, I know what that is, weren't helping. So he was, he was osmensch, as we would say in Yiddish. He was messed up, and he recognized it. So he went to one of these courses, and he had a coach, and here's how he writes about his experience. Kevin. For the rest of the week, I became acutely aware of the bizarre phone habits I developed. I noticed that I reach for my phone every time I brush my teeth or step outside the front door of my apartment building, and that for some pathological reason, I always check my email during the three-second window b- between when I insert my credit card into a chip reader at a store 
and when the card is accepted. Mostly, I became aware how profoundly uncomfortable I am with stillness. For years, I've used my phone every time I've had a spare moment in an elevator or a boring meeting. I listen to podcasts and write emails on the subway. I watch YouTube videos while folding laundry. I even use an app to pretend to meditate. (laughs) It's an unnerving sensation jumping around, being alone with your thoughts in the year 2019. And... 2022, we're not better. And for Tusa, he made a... Then he did a weekend, he was ready, and he did the, the knee took for the weekend. For two solid days, I basked in 19th century leisure, feeling my nerves softening, and my attention spent stretching back out. I read books. I did the crossword puzzle. I lit a fire. Uh, and looked at the stars. I felt like Thoreau. You know what that is? I also felt twinges of anger and myself for missing out on this feeling of restorative boredom for so many years. I was angry at the engineers in Silicon Valley who spend their days profitably exploiting, exploiting our cognitive weaknesses. At the entire phone industrial complex that is convinced that a six-inch glass and steel rectangle is the ideal conduit for worldly experiences. and we're finishing here with his little recounting, one of the most unexpected benefits of this program is that by getting some emotional distance from my phone, and I hope it's not hard for the phone, you know, I've started to appreciate it again. I keep thinking, right here in my pocket is a device that can summon food, cars, and millions of other consumer goods to my door. I can talk with everyone I've ever met. I can walk, talk with everyone, create and store a photographic record of my entire life, and tap onto the entire corpus of human knowledge with a few swipes. Steve Jobs wasn't exaggerating when he described the iPhone as a kind of magical object. And it's truly wild, and it's been a few years. We've managed, listen to this, I'm finishing this section, we've managed to turn this amazing talismanic tools into stress-inducing albatrosses. It's as if scientists had invented a pill that gave us the ability to fly, only to find out that it also gave us dementia. Stephen Roos. So to finish up, everybody, maybe we can't all be Gaonim. Hmm? We certainly can't be Ravadi Yosef or Chaim Kanievsky, but why can't we all be Masmidim? Why can every person in this room not be a Masmid? What's holding us back? Maybe you'll say, Rabbi, I'm a working guy. I'm here for a month, two months, a year, two years. Then back to real life. Great. What's that have to do with it? What's that have to do with being a masmid? You have a lunch break? What do you do during your lunch break? You pop open a Mishnayas. You turn on the video. You have Sundays if you're in America. What I could do with a free Sunday? What are you going to do with all that? Ravarin Khalis to give a bracha to doctors. You should be Zoha. To learn between patients. Rabosai, to turn back to the earlier topic, so many great Rabbanim have left us recently. And there's a hole in the Jewish people. You have to know that. Rabsimchakan Cook, maybe you've never heard of leaves. It's a hole. Not the green plant leaves, it's a hole. In my my few years, the Gonim I've seen, Rabchaim Kanievsky, it's a, it's a black hole. 
And the worst thing is so many in the Jewish people don't even realize it's a hole. What's lacking? I was reminded thinking about this. There was a famous Godel named Rebeliezer Silber. He was the rub of Cincinnati, no less. He was a tremendous, tremendous genius. Highest order. And he uh, joined the Cincinnati community. And at a certain point, uh, Balabatim, who had been influential in getting him into the community, complained to those that suggested him. So the, the suggester said, why are you complaining? What's wrong? He's not a good rub. No, he's a fine rub. What's he doing wrong? I'll tell you. He says, look, you guys told us that he's like a world-class scholar. And we look at like two in the morning, and his light's on, and he's still learning. You know? If he's such a scholar, why is he learning? People don't get it. Maybe your family doesn't get it. Your friends don't get it. You learn a little bit to know how to learn Rashi. Okay. A little bit to learn Tosis. Okay. Maybe. A little Aramaic. Why not? A little Arabic, a little Chinese. Both said the world doesn't understand how we need Talmud Torah. The whole Jewish means needs it. They just don't get it. In Yeshiva, we get it. Klai Yisrael needs Talmud Dechachamim. Klai Yisrael needs great Rabbanan. Klai Yisrael needs working people totally dedicated to Talmud Torah to be examples to everyone. By working and focusing on Hasmada, on constantness, Hatmada, we can do our part to help heal the wounds and build the Jewish people in the best way possible.